Welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. Our goal is that this message builds your faith and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. First Kings chapter 9 verse 1 through 5. I'm going to break protocol today from teaching and I want to preach to you today just out of the heart that God's given me something for you. I'm trying I'm not even going to try to stick close to my notes. I want to I want the spirit of God to kind of lead us and it says this. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he had wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time. And as he had appeared to him in Gibeon, and the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house. Someone say God has consecrated where I pray and your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually and here's the point in the scripture the place where you choose to honor God and honor his name is the place he's going to visit you at and that doesn't necessarily have to be a geographical location it really has to be a place of altar a place of worship in your life the altar is where you make it and where you build it so the place that God is looking to worship looking for us to worship him at now is in your being because the scripture says don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit so no matter where you go you've got to worship him and if you honor him there and honor his name he's going to bless you and he said my eyes and in my heart will be there where in a place of worship in your life perpetually now if you walk before me as your father david walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that god has commanded you and if you keep my statues and my judgments then i will establish the throne of your kingdom over israel forever someone say forever and i promised David, your father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. I promise your daddy, Solomon, I made him a promise a long time ago, and I keep my promises that there is never going to be a man out of your loins, out of your lineage, that's going to fail are fall so hard that they're not going to pick up the legacy that you left behind. I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. I am always going to be there. And everything you have built, I will make sure that it lasts. Somebody shout legacy right now. Somebody look at someone else and tell them God is going to protect my legacy. On the count of three, I want you to... I want you to shout out this new sermon series. Are you ready? On the count of three, Jesus is king. One, two, three. Now give God a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, hey, let's get ready. We're fixing to have church. And you can be seated this Sunday morning. Someone asked me the question what I thought about Kanye West. Someone, and I've seen other people ask other preachers if they thought it was real. And I think everyone on YouTube has jumped on, jumped on the bandwagon and tried to figure out if it was real or if it's fake. I saw one young man describe his experience as just another money-making ploy. And oh my God, he made all his money in, in secular music. Now he's going to go into the church industry and it's all about money now. Well, I'm going to say this. He don't need our money. I don't think, I think he's pretty wealthy. Secondly, if you can do what he did, you probably do the same thing. But when, when somebody that comes out of the secular world begins to take a stand for Jesus, I believe, believe me you, they go through persecution. They lose a lot of friends. They're blackballed. So I listened to the album. And I listened to it, and I didn't get it at first, and I listened to it again. Then the third time, I'm like, man, that's pretty good, man. 
kind of like that. We're over here getting ready to clean it up after, after the, 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 the fall fest. We prayed for people. I'm going to tell you, we had a prayer booth over here. We prayed for people. God was prophesying to people. There were people that were being prayed for and just touched. And, and when we were cleaning up, vacuuming the church yesterday, guess, who music, guess whose music we were playing on the stereo? Oh, Kanye, man. I said, man, that dude got something, man. I love it. Sounds great. I'm going to celebrate anybody who says Jesus is king. If they aren't like me, it doesn't matter. Because trust me, because of that one, one life that God is changing, however he does it, however he wants to do it, it is influencing the entertainment industry, and now others are being saved right now, like Justin Bieber. Other people that are influential in the industry are coming out now. Athletes are getting saved. People are coming out. My wife and I listened to an uh, interview last night with Kevin Hart, who said that his life is being changed right now. God has saved him when he was in an accident, and now he sees everything differently. God is working on the hearts in, of people in our world, and everybody in this building ought to give God praise. Because let me tell you something. Forget about the status. Forget about the position in the world. That's somebody's child, and that could be your child. If you could celebrate for some of else's mama's child, then maybe God will save your child, and maybe God will do something in your family. And so we got to celebrate everybody. Look beyond that. But Jesus is king. Jesus was king way before Kanye West thought he was king or got the revelation. We thought Jesus was king before be, you know, Jesus being king was cool. You hear the old saying about country music? We thought country was before it was cool. We thought Jesus was king before anybody else thought he was king. But now we're, run, we're coming to realize that. But did you, Rick, did you know that, that the kingship of, of a man wasn't God's idea from the beginning? The closest thing we had to a king was Adam, but it was only because God had lived in his life and was there in abundance of his grace and unmerited favor where God began to use Adam to take dominion over this earth and said, hey, it all belongs to you. All the, all the, all the animals in the field, all the birds in the air, everything in the ground, all the resources, all the plants and all the herbs and all the fruit and everything will be used for you to digest, to eat, to live by, and to simply have dominion. And, and so that was the protocol. But after that, God chose governors. God chose people like Moses. He moved through people like Abraham. He moved through men that would hear his voice like the prophets. And then he would raise up other prophets like Samuel. First it was Eli, then it was Samuel. And whenever God began to work in their life, they were the ones who set the state for Israel. They were the ones who came in and said that this is what the Lord said, thus saith the Lord, and then we're going to do it this way. God gave Moses commandments. He gave him laws. He gave him rules to live by, to keep us in his guidance, to keep his people in his favor. And then God moved on the prophets, and we called them judges, and judges were in rule. But there was a day when two men, if you look at it very closely in the scripture, Eli and Samuel, they were men of God, but they had a flaw. They weren't good fathers. They didn't know how to raise their children, right? And each of them had boys, and their boys were out of control, and they were taking briberies, and they were doing things outside of what God had called them to do and misrepresented God's rule. Therefore, when Samuel got older, when Samuel was getting older, the people around him said, you're fixing to pass on and you're fixing to leave, but your legacy isn't good. Your sons are just, they're, they're crooked. They're, they're, they're taking bribes. They're, they're, they're partying, partying and they're going out there and doing their own thing. And so they said, we don't want you to, to leave us to your children. So give us a king like the other nations. Give us somebody that's going to have rule over us and dominion over us and, and, and rule us and tell us what to do. And Samuel was very upset, even though it, was his, it really was his fault for not raising his children right. But yet, Samuel was a good man. And so he went to the Lord and said, 
you know, Lord, they don't, they don't want me anymore to be a prophet to them, to be a judge. And God took his side. God said, they didn't reject you, they rejected me. They didn't reject you, they rejected me. And so Samuel said, okay. He said, let them pick a king. And they found King Saul. And King Saul was the people's choice. And so God allowed it to happen. He was the first. He was one of the first. And so as he allowed him to be king, he gave him the right to go and, and to use his authority and, and begin to assert his authority and go in there and begin to rule and have the place in the people's life. And after a while, the people recognized it was a bad idea. Saul wasn't the king they thought he was going to be. That's why God had to move in a man called Plan B, who was David. God had to find a young man who had a right heart. So God said, you want a king? That's fine. I gave you the first pick. Let me take second choice. And he went and found David, who was a, just a little shepherd boy. And that little shepherd boy was out in the field taking care of somebody else's sheep. It wasn't his sheep, and he was testing him. You see, sometimes in life, when God puts you in a position, it may not be your job, it may not be your people, it may not be your sheep, but sometimes God just wants to see how you're going to take care of somebody else's stuff before he gives you your own. And David was that kind of a man. David was the kind of man that said, you know what? It doesn't matter if it belongs to me or not. It's still, I'm going to work as if I'm working for the Lord, and I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm going to treat these sheep like they're my sheep. You see, that, that's the problem we have in America today. We're so spoiled, and we have this, some, this attitude called entitlement that we feel like God needs to give us something just because we think we're special. But let me tell you something. You want God to give you a job? You want God to give you your own business? Take care of the job you have right now and treat that boss like you're working for the king of king and the Lord of lords, and God will bless you. God will promote you. And David was that kind of man. David gave it all he had. David gave it all he had. David was, was talked about by a little servant woman when Saul had a troubling spirit because of his disobedience. Saul had a troubling spirit, and, 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 and they needed someone to play music and be skillful with it. And a little lady, a little handmaiden, said to, to, king, to, said to the king, he said, I know a boy who plays skillfully, and the Lord is with him. He said, who is it? He said, it's that same boy that killed Goliath. It's that same boy. I've heard him before. You see, where did she hear him before? That's what you have to ask yourself. Where did this girl hear this boy play? He was always out in the fields. He didn't have any stage or a platform. Everybody wants a platform. Everybody wants a platform and everybody wants to be recognized. David wasn't promoting himself. David didn't walk around trying to share his cards and telling everybody, follow me on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. When God's hand is in your life, you don't need man to accept you. You need God to accept you, and the favor of God will precede you, and there's going to be favor that will promote you as well. And David had that favor in his life because what he did in private, God rewarded him openly. But you see, this is the problem this is why God doesn't give you too much favor at one time. I'll tell you why. Because we're scared. Some people think that failure will kill them. But I'm going to tell you, success will do the same thing. 
David couldn't handle the Lord's favor at one time. When God began to bless David, he gave him favor. He gave him, he had an anointing in his life after he was anointed by Samuel because Samuel was told by God, I've got to choose a new man. And he called all the sons of Jesse out and they all looked good. And they were tall, broad shouldered, probably looked like a triathlon. They, they looked like a triathlete and probably looked like somebody that you would choose to be king. But they saw this little ruddy boy come in here. I'm not sure what he looked like, but the scripture says he was ruddy. He was a, he was a kind of a weak boy. He looked kind of lame. And God said, that's the man I'm looking for. And Samuel goes, you got to be kidding me right now. Are you kidding me right now? That's the guy? Yeah, that's the guy. And he said, surely God is no respecter person. God looks on the heart and not on the outward. But can I tell you, when you begin to get favor, you'll begin to have haters. And that's okay. That's a sure sign. You want to know if you have favor in your life? I'll tell you, when you got real favor in your life, you got real favor in your life when hell can use you to be a target because when you start being recognized and you start getting this platform and you start getting on the spotlight, guess what? Everybody you thought that would celebrate with you and be happy with you, they're all going, oh, he thinks he's bad now. Mina, Mina, he thinks he's all bad. Mina, look at David just because he got Goliath. I could have did the same thing. Slingshot is, I have a gun. <laughs> this is all bad. Saul looked at David and he began, he began to get jealous. Saul looked at David and that was his demise. His prosperity was also his demise. This is why God takes time and he wants you to slow down. He wants you to slow down long enough because you know, you're in a hurry to get there. Don't worry, it'll come. But God wants to build some character inside of you because I don't, he, I don't think you can handle the rejection at that level. I really don't think you can handle that at that level. First, you've got to sit down and have a few people be mad at you because you're doing so well. Who am I talking to this Sunday morning? I want to show you how God promised David and said, I'm going to make sure that no one fails to sit on that throne. But I want you to look at very closely and consider with me how David now, as he was getting notoriety, as he was getting recognized, how from that moment on when the anointing began to be exercised in his life, how even his, 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 his king, his leader, his person that he prayed for, the person that he served, the one he played music for, the one he stood in the gap for, the one that he actually became an armor bearer for, began to be jealous towards him and how he tried to take his life. The people began to recognize the difference between David and Saul. And Saul was jealous when the people started saying, for David, Saul had killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And they all began to chant this. All it did was make Saul more angry and make David more scared. When God brings you favor, it, there ought to be a little element of thinking within yourself. I don't know if I can handle this, because I'm going to tell you something. When God gives you a dream, it ought, it, God dreams big. God dreams humongous. God gives you something where you have to know in your spirit that you need him to achieve it. You need him to achieve it. You got to look at your dream sometimes and say, you know what? If it's something I can accomplish, it's probably just my dream. Because when God gives me a dream, it's going to be bigger than me. I, it has to look impossible to me where I'm going to have to be dependent on God. How many dreamers do we have in the building this Sunday morning? That kingship 
was a dream that God gave to David. It was a long way from the shepherd's field. It was a long way from just being the delivery boy who took the cheese and the crackers and the meat to his brothers on the, on the battlefield. That was a long way from just being a musician. It was a long way from just being an armor bearer. God was making the transition, and hell knew the promise. See, I think sometimes, and I think I'm pretty sure that when God gives you a promise, I'm pretty sure the devil knows what the promise is. And when he knows what the promise is, he's going to do everything he can to abort the promise. But I prophesy to you this Sunday morning that you shall carry full term, that you will carry that promise, and God will bring it to pass. Somebody shout amen. Say, I've got a promise. God gave David a promise and said, I'm going to make sure that your kingdom lasts forever. I'm going to make sure that there's not going to ever fail one man. He reminded Solomon, and Solomon came out. But what you don't realize and what we don't look at and get a proper perspective of is how mad hell was and how hard he tried to stop that from happening. It wasn't just Saul. It was also Absalom. It was also David's son. David's sons were trying to take the throne as well, trying to lie on him. Absalom was a politician. Absalom was a young man that said, you know what? I'm going to stand at the gates of the city. Absalom used to go and stand at the gates of the city, and he used to meet the people that came to see his father. Absalom, read the scripture. Absalom actually would go to the gates, and when people came to meet the king, he would want to hear their request. He would listen to what they were going to approach the king with because he asked them, who are you? He knew every new person. Who are you? Who are you? And they would tell him, and what did you come for? I'm this king's son. Oh, yes, I would love to do that for you. We, we would love to see that happen for you. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And after a while, Absalom was talking to everybody, telling them, I, I can make it happen for you. Until one day he asked David, would you mind if I went out to worship and take some people with me to go worship? And what he was trying to do was set up a coup d'etat. He was trying to set up a, 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 a gang of, 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 of a lynch mob. And he got them together, and he was saying to all of them, my father's getting old, and I, I think I can take this throne and do and give you and deliver everything that, that, that you want. And the people jumped on the bandwagon. People were all around him. They cheered him on. They loved it. He was eloquent. He knew how to talk. Everything was great, and they were jumping on board with it. And I'll tell you what happened. And it got so big. His army got so big and his party got so big that David had to run for his life. He even left the Ark of the Covenant behind. And he said, when they asked him, should we take the Ark with us when he was leaving with his small army? And David said, no, leave it there, perhaps the Lord. Look how humble he was. You see, when, when hell is fighting you, I promise you, if you'll stay humble, God will fight your battles for you. He said, no, just leave it there. He said, just leave it there because if, if, if God, who knows, God will be merciful enough to let me come back and experience the Ark of the Covenant. And he left. But you know how God works. It wasn't far from that moment that people started getting around David. And David had to go into battle with Absalom. And the entire time when Absalom was trying to take the throne, David wanted to save his son. He told his soldiers, told Abner, told his generals, don't touch my son. Don't touch my boy. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't understand. He's lost his mind. It's just that demonic spirit messing with his ego. 
Don't, don't, don't touch him. That's my boy. I know he's acting rebellious right now. You see, the love of the Father is so transparent and so real and looks beyond our rebellion and looks beyond our failures and looks at our mistakes and says, it's all right. They'll get through it. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus did the same thing on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what you do. Aren't you glad we serve a merciful, loving Savior? David, David was able to see that because the scripture also said he was a man after God's own heart. And while they're in battle, son or no son, God took care of him and he was an enemy to the throne. And while he was on his donkey, he was riding through the fields, riding through the forest. He got stuck in a tree and they went and they killed him. David got word. David heard of his son. The messenger ran, ran to David. And David said, how goes the battle? And he said, Lord, he said, King, he said, uh, the battle has been won and your son is dead. And David get, got down and he humbled himself and he began to cry and he began to shout out, Absalom, Absalom, I wish I could have saved you. I wish I could have been there. But Abner came around and said, King, you've got to get up and go greet the people. Get over him. He's dead. And he moved on. But it was a hard thing for him to do because David had a good heart. He made mistakes. He made mistakes with Bathsheba. And I think the four letters at the front of that name ought to, should have told him <laughs> what to stay away from, right? Sometimes God gives us clear signs. We just overlook them. Sometimes God gives us just a clear sign and lets us know. No, no, no. Pop out. You ever had God spank your hand or just kind of block something from you just to protect you? Aren't you grateful that God watches over us like that? Aren't you thankful that when we feel like we get astray that, you know, the scripture says that, that father, the, the, he's like a father that chastises his children, you know? I know when I was growing up, boy, I talked about spankings a lot in this, for some reason, this past two series, we talked about it quite a bit. I think this all comes back at me sometimes. And yeah. Anyways, but... God does that for us, folks. God will come in and God will begin to work and God will begin to protect us and God will keep us. But he protected David from so much. It wasn't just, it wasn't just him. It wasn't just Absalom. I'm going to tell you something else. It was miraculous how God began to work. God began to work and protect him from all these things, but it, it was also Adonijah. Adonijah wanted to be king. When David was at his last days, and David had to have constant care around the clock for him, Adonijah was another boy. Adonijah said, you know what? I can be king. I can take his place. You know what he did? He went and got a group of people to rally together, and they started going down the streets. They started going around there and telling everybody, Adonijah's fixing to be king. And then the prophet, thank God for the prophet Nathan, the prophet Nathan went to Bathsheba and he told her, did you know that Adonijah is going to make himself king? And she goes, no. And they schemed together. They got it together and they said, we need to go talk to the king right now. And they went to the king and Bathsheba looked at him because even though God, even though David made a mistake, God still picked him up and fixed the mistake. And that mistake wasn't one that just kept him in a, in a place that would cripple his life. God blessed him with a son named Solomon from the same mistake. That's a merciful God. I'm talking to you about the mercy of God. The sure mercies of David. And I'll tell you why I believe God did that. It's because David knew how to repent and how to ask God to forgive him. You want to know the, the, the response to David after he killed a man, after he had a, a, a child with another married woman and the child died? You want to know his prayer? Read Psalms 51. Psalms 51 says that David humbled himself and he said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, not man's kindness, not man's qualifications, not anybody else, but yours, God, because I know your mercy endures forever. 
I want your mercy, Father. I don't want nobody else's mercy but yours, Father. And then he said, he said, have mercy upon me according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. He said, my sin is ever before me, Lord. I messed up and I messed up big. That if you want to know how to get restored in your life, I'm going to tell you something. That was a major, major setback. If that happened to some of us, I promise you, some of us would have already just given up. But what a man. That's why you have to respect David. Because David right away went to God, prayed, fasted, and he said, have mercy upon me, God. I did it. It was my fault. My sin is ever before me. That means it's in my mind and it won't go away. He said, Lord, whatever you got to do, correct me. But just one thing, listen to what he said. One thing, dear Lord, he said, just don't take your spirit from me. Say, don't take your spirit from me because I can't live without your spirit. <laughs> I, I can live without the kingdom. I can live without certain boys and my children, some of my boys, my, uh, my, some of my wives. I would tell you, he had a lot of wives too. I can live with some of my favorite beasts, horses, cattle, gold, silver, all of these blessings I can be without, but the one thing I can't be without is your spirit. Is your spirit. Oh, I'm going to tell you, you can't live without his spirit. There was a king who had his throne taken from him by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And when the spirit of the Lord left him, he became like an animal in the field. His nails grew long. His hair grew long. The scripture says he was like a beast. And then one day he came to himself. He looked up to heaven. He repented of his sins, and God restored him. Somebody say, turn your heart to God. Come on, somebody say, Lord, take my heart, make it yours. So the prophet went to him, and David said, go ahead, get my robe, get my bride, <laughs> right? Go get my bride, get it, put him on there, put Solomon on there, and let him go through the city. Let him go through and proclaim, and, and let the prophet go before him and make the declaration that this is the king whom the Lord has chosen. And he had the seal of approval from David, and from that day forward, everything began to change. You see, this wasn't the first time this had happened. There was many times from the time of David all the way through to the time of Christ, and there were many in-betweens. Now there had to be more. Through Solomon, through Solomon, there was Rehoboam, Abijah, there was Uzziah, Hezekiah, Josiah, Eleazar, and then Joseph, who was married to Mary. And then then King David had another boy. You see, this was, uh, it was going to have to carry on. But every generation from King David all the way down, did you know Joseph, the spouse to Mary, was from the lineage of Solomon? And through Solomon's bloodline, there were attacks all along the way because hell never forgot the promise. Hell never forgot. Let me tell you something. For some of us, it may seem like a long time. Maybe God gave you a promise years ago and you feel like it's dead. Let me give you the secret to that. If you'll keep on living, if you'll keep on worshiping, if you'll keep on praying, if you'll keep on fasting, God is going to bring that promise to pass. And if you die, guess what? God's going to give it to your son. God's going to give it to your daughter. God will give it to your grandchildren. But God will keep his promise. You ought to give God some praise right now. God will keep his promise. And then, and then David had another son by the name of Nathan also. And Nathan, he had lineage. He had people that came from his bloodline. He had Mena, he had Jonan, Joseph, Judah, Simeon, Levi, Melchi, and then Mary. Mary came from the loins of David as well. 
Because anyone who inherits the throne of a king has to have the same bloodline. Somehow they were related, and it wasn't in Arkansas. <laughs> oh, Lord, forgive me. My pastor's from Arkansas. He's probably the smartest guy I know. No pun intended, but you know. Had to come from the same bloodline. I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail, but I'm going to tell you right now that the bloodline is so important. Aren't you thankful for the blood of Jesus in your life? You see, here's the miracle part about our experience with Christ. It doesn't matter, uh, it doesn't matter where, where they say you come from. I don't care what, what piece of paper you spin on or what little case you spin on and what company you send it to. You may be half German, you may be half Irish, you may be half Latino and African-American. My daughter, Haley, she got her, her, her DNA test back and had 1% black African-American. She thought she could sing gospel all day long. and start, She was so happy. She thought she was black. She always wants to be black. That's all right. I got some black in my blood, too. You can't see it right now, but I can dance like it, though. At least I think I can. The bloodline, the bloodline, you know, horses, horses become valuable based on their bloodline. And when you've got a champion on your hand, l l do the research. When you've got a champion on your hand, it's from the lineage of a champion horse that they make sure that they don't take that horse and crossbreed it with another one who can't do a thing. They make sure that the bloodline of the, of the mate to that horse is strong as well. And the entire time on both sides, from Mary's family to Joseph's family, I promise you hell has tried to attack that bloodline, stop them from moving forward, but it wouldn't stop Boaz from having a good wife, even though they all came from foreign fields, Boaz was a good man. But then Jesse, and Jesse produced David, and David Solomon, and the lineage goes on and on until the day when Christ was born out of the loins of Solomon and David, and then God began to bless again. And I'm telling you, hell tried to stop everything from happening from that seed coming forth. And this is why Jesus is called the root and the offspring of David. Point number one, and I'm going to give you two quick ones, but point number one was he was the offspring of David, meaning that Christ, his lineage went all the way back. Why do you think, why do you think that when Jesus was born, God recognized it? You see, having a king wasn't God's original plan because he was already the king as long as he had the prophets to judge. I don't know if you heard me or not. God was already the king and he had judges underneath him. That's why he told Samuel, they didn't reject you. They rejected me. If they want another king, then let them have another king. But they're going to find out there's not going to be a better king than me. And they had to learn the hard way. They had to learn the hard way. So let me tell you what happened. Finally, after many almost tragic things, Failures within the throne, within that royal blood. God said, this ain't cutting it. It's not good enough. I think I'll just go down there myself and end this thing once and for all. Because you remember what he told David, this was the promise. Your throne will last forever. And the only one who lives forever is God himself. Somebody say Jesus is king. We have lost in this culture the respect for the name of Jesus. I have to build on this just for a moment. We need a revival of the, of the fear of God and the love and the respect for the name of Jesus in our life. Jesus was not just a prophet. Jesus was not just a man. Jesus was not just the sacrificial lamb. Jesus was the son of man, the son of God, God incarnate in human flesh. 
that dwelt and walked on this world, and he had a name that was above every name, that one day every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow, that Jesus is what? That Jesus is what? King. Somebody praise him. How many of you believe that Jesus is king? He is my king. So he was the offspring. Not only was David fighting for his offspring, but the root of David was protecting him and defending him. Jesus was called the, called the root and the offspring of David. That means that it was God who gave the king his origin and picked him and protected him, and it was going to be him also that would end up in his lineage, the root and the offspring. It would be him himself. Jesus would also become the fruit of his loins, and he secured it all the way down. When you look at this, whoever God chooses, he protects God will protect the promise. God will protect. Samuel chapter 13, verse 14 says, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. This is what God told Saul. This is what happened when you go astray. David, no matter how bad he messed up, I'm going to tell you something, he got back in line quick. I mean fast. Let me tell you something. When you mess up or you feel like you fell short, get over your pity party as fast as you can. Because I promise you, you're the only one having it. You're the only one having it. Get over the fact that no one said hello to you or acknowledged you. Because when we really look at it, I mean, we're important to God, but really, we're not that important. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? I don't feel like I have to come here every service, and I don't want to expect everybody to come and shake my hand and bow down and kiss my finger. What? You know? <laughs> Godfather. That's what that was a reference to, Godfather. I don't feel like I have, I'm not going to be upset with you. You see, he's more important than I am. I came here to experience the king. And we all need to bow down before him. And we all need to recognize, hey, uh, we need to come to him. And he becomes first in our life, even when we don't come to church. But it, judgment begins at the house of God. So that means that whenever you come into God's house, this is where God begins to execute his goodness, his righteousness, and his mercy, and his grace in this environment. It's a safe place. That's why David said, David said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of God because I can't be around these folks anymore. I can't be around this kind of environment. I need to go to church. I've got to go to some place where I can get refreshed, renewed, empowered, encouraged, renewed in my thought process. I'm not gonna, I can't be hanging around all these negative people all the time. That's right. That's one reason why we go to church to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when he reaches out with his golden scepter, I'm telling you, that scepter of righteousness, when he pours out his spirit, you will walk out feeling empowered, strengthened, encouraged, and you know where you come from. You feel like you've got royal blood in your veins. Especially if you've asked for forgiveness, you have royal blood in your veins when you've got the blood of jesus in your life you are royalty i don't know if you heard me or not when you've got royal blood in your veins like the blood of jesus you are royalty that's why god treats you different 
That's why God tries to keep you because hell couldn't stop David. Well, maybe hell can stop you because he's got hindsight. He looks back and he says, boy, God made a fool out of me. He sure did. God made a fool out of me. I tried to stop it. You know, the scripture says, had hell knew who Jesus was, they would have never crucified him if they knew who he was. They thought that they had God. They thought, ah, another prophet, ah, somebody that claiming to be the, the Messiah. And guess what? He was. He was. And hell messed up when he took him and took him to Pilate's Hall. And that first drop of blood when it came to the ground, guess what? That was enough to save the whole world. That was enough to save the whole world. You see, here is what the problem was. They looked for a crown, but he came with the cross. They looked for an army, but he came with angels. They looked for a royal navy, but he came in on a fishing boat. They looked for a dignitary, but he came and hung out with the sinners. They looked for a royal carriage, but he came in on a donkey. They came in looking for the redemption from Rome, but he came to save us from our sins. That's because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Somebody praise him. You think that he's not the king because you're not wearing gold? Let me tell you something. You've got something better than gold. You've got a revelation that he is your provider, that he is your protector. You've got favor in your life like the king. And I'm telling you, that means you have access to anything you have need of. Say, somebody say, my king. Shall supply, shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. If you believe it, praise him one more time. Thank you, Father. Now, I'm going to explain this next one to you because, you see, the reason why they missed him is because they looked at him from his mother's side. the human side. But Jesus had two sides to him. He had attributes from his mother's side, which was his earthly side, and he had attributes from his father's side, which was the heavenly side. On his mother's side, he rode a boat. On his father's side, he walked on water. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? On his mother's side, he got hungry and tired, but on his father's side, he was the rest. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? On his mother's side, he had to eat bread, but on his father's side, he was the bread of life. Thank you, Holy Ghost. He got thirsty on his mother's side, but on his father's side, he was the living water. Thank you, Jesus. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? If you're not careful, you'll miss your king when he's standing right in front of you. But we're looking for the outward. But God says, if you look a little bit closer... Don't you go around asking everybody, where is God? What's this? What does this mean? I'll tell you what the problem is. You've got your eyes on everything physical when God wants you to look from the heart and start seeking after him with all of your heart. And he said, when you seek after him with all of your heart, then he'll be found of you. Then he'll be found of you. He was, number two, the root of David. According to the scripture, Jesus was God manifested in human flesh. Somebody say amen. amen. And so nowadays, that's where we miss it because there are different occults, different false religions that will try to do their very best to discredit the deity of Jesus. I'm going to tell you what I hate. I'm not, not going to tell you who I hate. I'll tell you what I hate. I got corrected a few times with my, my kids. Like I said, I hate bullies. They said, Dad, you've got to say, I hate bullying. Okay, you're right. I hate bullying. <laughs> I hate it when I see a movie and they take the name of the Lord, the actual name Jesus. I'm, I'm going to break and bust your bubble right now. Can I help you understand something real quick? And you don't mind? You won't get offended? Can I, can I, can I, 
Can I step on religious toes right now for a moment? Raise your hand if you want me to step on. Okay, all the, unreli- all the religious people kept their hands down. <laughs> God is not a name. going to tell you that. I don't know if you knew that or not. Anything can be a God. But God is not his name. You're, oh, here we go. I got to, I promise my, I promise I wouldn't get on a rabbit trail, but I don't know how else to explain it. Your job can be your God. Your business can be your God. Your money can be your God. Your car can be your God. Your business can be your God. I'm telling you, a God is someone that you give your full trust, heart, and affection to and time, talent, and treasure to. That's called an idol. See, we, we don't want to talk about that anymore, but I've got to shoot it straight to you because this ain't one of those churches where you get the candy. You know, we're not gonna hand, I'm not handing out spiritual lollipops to everybody. I, I gotta, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I, I mean, salt doesn't taste good, but boy, it gets you thirsty real quick. You know, I got it. Sometimes, sometimes we're, the, we're called the salt of the earth. And sometimes we got to give some things out there that'll whip your appetite and get you back to the water and get you hungry, thirsty, help us realize that we need more of him. But I got to tell you, God said he was going to give us a new name. So when Jesus came into this world and, the, and Mary... Overshadowed, was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost. And God gave birth to Mary. God gave birth to a child in Mary. Planted a seed, rather. And when Mary gave birth, they said that child would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And you will call his name Jesus. Why do you think since his birth, I didn't finish this thought earlier, why do you think from his birth that Herod tried to have him killed every chance he had? It wasn't Herod, folks. It was a demon behind Herod. Herod was a king. He was threatened from another king. He was threatened from another person who would be influential that would lead the Jewish people to rise and raise them up as an army to come back in to take back what rightfully belonged to them. But he wasn't that kind of king. He came not to deliver them from Rome. He came to deliver them from their sin. Because if they can get delivered from their sin, they can take Rome and they can take the people and they can influence somebody that was going to make a difference in this world. Your biggest enemy isn't the government. Your biggest enemy isn't the bullies at school, bullies at work. It isn't those little, little cliques that no one invites you to. Your greatest enemy is not the devil. Your greatest enemy is yourself. But as long as you let self become a seat and Jesus sit on it, then I promise you, he will begin to reign in your life and begin to do things for you that you thought you could never see happen before. I'm telling you, he is the king of kings. So I believe that the only way to explain him as the root of David, meaning God himself, the very God Think about this and put this in your spiritual blender. In order to prove that he was the very God that was in the origin of David's life, that had ordained him, that been there for him, that protected him, and him, Jesus, being the root and the offspring, we have to go to Scripture. We have to go to the Scripture. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 14 says, In the beginning, everyone say beginning. In the beginning was the word. That word, word, comes from the Greek word that means logos, the plan. In the beginning was the plan, and the plan was God, and the, and the plan was with God, and the plan was God. Listen to this now. And the plan was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Who is that? Don't be afraid. You're not going to get it wrong. Somebody shout out that name. Jesus. And the plan 
was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld, this is John writing, John said, we saw it with our own eyes. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. First Timothy 3 and 16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Re repeat this after me. God, God was manifest in flesh. Who is that? Come on, everybody. Don't get, you're not going to get an F. God was manifest in flesh. Who was that? God was justified in the spirit. Who was that? God was seen of angels. Who was that? God was preached among the Gentiles. Who was that? God was believed on in the world. Who was that? And God was received up into glory. Who was that? Somebody give him some praise. Somebody say Jesus is king. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government, because he was the king, and the government, which the government is the kingdom, and the kingdom is the spirit in which he reigns from you. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, meaning that he will carry the responsibility and he will yoke together with us. And his name, oh, thank you, Lord. And his name, and his name shall be called Wonderful counselor do you need a friend he's wonderful and he's your friend and he will talk to you he will listen to you he will hear what you have to say he'll give you wisdom he'll give you understanding he is a counselor the mighty god someone say mighty god our God has never lost the battle. Our God will never be defeated. Our God won at the cross. He didn't lose at the cross. Our God rose again from the grave. He is the mighty God, Jehovah Gabor, the one who's mighty in battle. The everlasting Father. Hold on a second. He's the everlasting Father. I don't get that, Pastor Bobby, man. You're talking nonsense. Are we in the same scripture text? Because right after that, he said, the prince of peace. Now, the prince is the son to the king, right? I don't get that. Let me explain it to you. Let me, let me explain to you. That's the mystery of godliness. Jesus and the Father were one. He even said it himself. That's why you've got to get off of trying to explain theology so much and get stuck on the fact that Jesus is who he says he was. Because what he was trying to tell the world is what he told Philip. He told Philip after Philip said, show us the Father, Lord, and it will satisfy us and suffice us from the book of John. And Jesus looked at him and said, hmm, Philip, have I long time been with you that you have not known me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How say then show us the Father? In other words, when people look at me, they think they're looking at flesh, but they need to look past the flesh and see the Spirit inside of me because it is my Heavenly Father inside of me. God needed a body, so he made his Son. And when you look at Jesus, you are looking at the Father. Somebody give him some praise. You got to get this in your brain. Jesus just isn't some good luck charm. He's just not some kind of name you go to when you're in trouble. He is someone you wake up to every day and say, Your Majesty, and begin to worship him and begin to acknowledge him and begin to give him your praise, your tribute, your time, your talent, your treasure. He is everything. 
John 14, again, that's where Philip said it. He showed him the Father, Exodus 3 and 14. And Moses said, listen to this, and Moses, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus shall you say to the children of Israel that I am has sent you. You see, this is what he was trying to say. What he was trying to tell Moses was when he asked him for a name, that he needed some kind of reference. Moses needed some kind of a reference because every revelation and every encounter with God, he'll give you revelation and express who he is so you can take it with you and exercise your faith. Moses needed that contact of faith. He needed something to go to the children of Israel with because God had not yet really revealed and given a name so he said, hey, when you go to them, tell them the I am has sent you. That was the revelation, meaning to you, Moses, to you. See, to David, I would be king to David, and I would be merciful to David. But to you, I will be the great I am, meaning I, self am existing the self-existing one i don't need nobody i don't depend on nobody i'm gonna get you all out of egypt all by myself and then when jesus comes on the scene who was who who was jesus god in the what come on Matt. come on what did the bible say who was jesus god in the what when jesus comes around and jesus is approached by the religious people Listen to this. Jesus talked to them in John chapter 8 and said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Abraham saw it by faith. Abraham knew the promises of God. Abraham was one of those in Hebrews chapter 11 who sought for a city whose builder and maker was God. And Abraham saw the coming day, and he told them, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day, and he rejoiced. But then the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old, and you have, have you ever seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Oh, does anybody know who Jesus is? Are you, are you getting this today? Are you getting Come on, Haley. Come on. I'm telling you right now, Jesus is king. And he is there forever. And no one is going to vote him out. No one's going to have him impeached. No one's going to come around and say, I don't know if I'm going to. You don't have to follow him. But one of these days, you will have to bow to him. Uh, I'm telling you right now, your little kingdom that we think that we, it's so important to us is nothing compared to the kingdom that God has. I'm telling you right now, life is too short to try to build up our own tower. That's what happened in the Tower of Babel with Nimrod and all the pagan worshipers. The reason why they started to build that tower in the book of Genesis, they tried to go up and build it up because they were afraid that if God calls it to flood again, that they would have to build a high place where they can miss out on the flooding again. There's so many theories and, and thoughts about that theologically, but here's the bottom line. Whether or not they were trying to escape the judgments of God or not, I don't know. All I know is, is that when they came together, they thought they had the right idea, but all it took was God to come in one time, confuse their language, and send them out to do the will of God, what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to go out and replenish the earth. They stayed in one place. So I'm telling you, no matter how much time you build that kingdom, no matter how many hours you put into that tower, no matter what you do or who you have, if you're not in the will of God, if you're not serving the king and it's not for the king, it's not going to last. It's not going to last. Oh, my God. I'm going to read you one more scripture, and I'll close with this. Stand to your feet this Sunday morning. It's a different tone here today. You can take it slow. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 and 10. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. 
coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. That's why so many people miss them, because they're thinking intellectually. When you think intellectually, you miss God. And we think we're so smart because we can outthink these mysteries. Or, You see, you, you miss it because to know God, it's an operation of faith. It's an operation of faith. That's why God says, seldom does he come to the wise who are wise in their own eyes because they think they have it figured out. But when you are humble and you are hungry and you want God and you need God, it's going to be by faith. And by faith, he'll begin to reveal himself to you. And he said, the rulers of this age, if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his what? Spirit. God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And here's what the Lord wants to do today with us. You may call him king, but is he really the king? You may call him your savior, but have you really made him a savior in your life and has he forgiven you of your sins? We may call him king and tribute and say that God owns everything, but have we given him his portion? of our time, talent, and treasure. Because if you were part of a monarchy, if you were part of a monarchy, we would have to do tribute, and you would have to give to Caesar what Caesar's. If he is truly reigning in your life, then he must have no restriction and must be given free reign. This Sunday morning, before we walk out of those doors, I think we need to have a, a recommitment to him being the king of our life. Jesus needs to be honored today. The name needs to be reverenced today. So pray right now. Ask the Lord. I'm asking all of you right now to make him the king again in your hearts. I'm asking for you to make him a renewing. Make a renewing. Make a commitment to God right now and tell him, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now that you would give me a fresh revelation, understanding conscience, Father, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are Jesus, the King. You came and reigned. The King came and gave his life. The King came and carried a cross. The King came, Father. I want to wake up every day feeling the reverence of your majesty. I want to wake up every day, Father, and having my spirit give full attention to you. You are the King of my life. You're the King of my life now. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to go ahead and do this right now. If you've not given your life to the Lord, right now is the time to do it. If you've not given your life to Jesus, you need to pray this prayer right now. Father, in Jesus' name, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my transgressions. Father, forgive me for doing it my way. Forgive me, Father, for trying to build my kingdom. Forgive me, Lord, for trying to do it my way every day. I, right now, I bow down to you. I give you the credit. I give you the respect. I give you the honor you deserve. Father, I know you gave your life for me. You gave your life for me, Father. You gave your life for me. And I love you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Life Center podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, then subscribe and follow us on social media at CLC Victoria. Connect with us by visiting our website, clcvictoria.org.